Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to continue in a series called What Jesus Said. Anybody been encouraged in this series a little bit? There's, a, uh, there's been a, a, a great, I believe, a great strengthening that has come to our church and is coming uh, to the church because we're getting prepared. And uh, this morning, I feel like a mix of, of, uh, of, uh, of prophet and teacher. Uh, prophet, because I, I feel like, you know, if we had time, I would lay hands on everybody today because I'm so stirred up. I feel like God is so near. I feel like, you know, uh, as I, I, I just feel the power and the presence of God. But I also feel a divine responsibility to get people ready. Listen, my favorite holiday, uh, by far favorite holiday, it's not Christmas, it's Thanksgiving. Oh. <sighs> There's so much meat. It's awesome. <laughs> what a blessing, Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving is, uh, before you get there, there's a lot of preparation. I know uh, all of the men in the room, you look surprised. You're like, preparation? I'll mow the lawn, sure. No, it's more than that. There's days and days of preparation that go in to hosting something, to, to being a part of something that is, is unique and set apart. It, it uh, costs money, you know, and I know that you think, well, you know, for, you know some of us, we see all the details and other us, of us see less details. Husbands, uh, you know, we probably did not see those socks on the floor. You saw them, wives, and you're like, please pick up after yourself. You know, you see details we don't see. Many times, right? Come on, stop elbowing your husband right now. But there are, there are sometimes as a pastor, I feel like, and a prophet, I see details that sometimes uh, I can see that maybe other people can't see. And I feel like part of my responsibility is to kind of get you ready for the season that you're in. And the way we get ready is it's powerful, it's pro profound, it's real, it's, it's not fake. Uh, by the way, these sermons aren't because I need another thing to say. I, I really, I don't, I, don't, I don't like to stand up and pontificate or obliviate over any subject or anything like that. I want to come on a Sunday and deliver the word of the Lord because it is the word of the Lord that will carry you into your destiny. It's the timely release of what God is saying that will prepare a young generation, an old generation, uh, 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 you know, that, to, to walk hand in hand into God's destiny. And so today, I want to do just that, and that's why we're in this series called What Jesus Said, because there is only one way to walk into your destiny, and that is to grab hold of everything that Jesus has said to us. Now, why would we do that? Why, are we, why is it so important to just grab hold of what Jesus said? Here's why, John 6, 63, this is what Jesus said, the Spirit gives life and the flesh profits nothing. You need to understand that what we produce in our flesh, it doesn't last. It doesn't produce anything meaningful. But when we're living, led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, motivated by the Spirit, it produces something eternal. And Jesus said these words. He says, he says, my words, they are what? They are Spirit and they are life. They are Spirit and they are life. So if you want the Spirit of God, which is necessary to make an eternal impact, then you need Jesus' words. If you want to, to overcome the death that is surrounding us and the, the power of death that it seems to be all 
around us, you need words that are filled with life. That's why we're in this series called What Jesus Said. Now today, I'm, I'm going to um, speak a message to you called What Jesus Said About the Church. And this is a, this a, 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 a message about who we are. But it includes insights about who you are. So we are going to look carefully. Because when I say the word church, many of us have all kinds of ideas. Some of you walked in today and you're like, whoa, I've never been to a church like this. When I say church to some people, uh, they think of exercise because they grew up Catholic. And you kneel and you stand and you sit and you kneel and you stand and you sit. You know, we all have these different, uh, different views of what church is, but in order for us to be, and I almost titled this sermon, What Jesus Said About an End Time Church, because I think it's so appropriate to the moment that we're living in, and if you're questioning and wondering whether or not you're living in the last hours, 2,000 years ago, Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and said, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and he says, this is now. This is now. So if you're wondering if you're in the last days, yes, you're in the last days. And so God is preparing us with his spirit and life through his words so he will carry us into his destiny, into our destiny. And if we're going to lay hold of our destiny as the church, then we need to know what Jesus said about the church. And it's from Matthew chapter 16. And if you have your Bible or you have the Bible app, you can go calvary.online, click today's message. All the notes will come out there. If you have the Bible app, you can search a live event and find us that way. You can add your own notes. All of this will be there. Uh, but we want to we wanna empower you today through this message. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19 says this. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others uh, uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to take you through this passage, and I'm going to give you some insights today about who you are personally and who we are as the church. And this is what Jesus said. And this is very, very important that we grab hold of because if we will take the position of these scriptures, we will thrive in the last day. Jesus said this about the church in this passage. This is, this is the first thing I want you to grab hold of, that the church is birthed from personal revelation. The church is birthed from personal revelation. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In this conversation at the beginning, the first focus was not on Jesus. It was on men. He says, who do men say that I am? And you know, we've all got 
uh, different kinds of friends. Don't you have different kinds of friends? You got the friend like you call when you want to go do something because they never stop going. But then you also have the other friend who is super chill and they just want to chill out. And you like, man, when you want to chill, you're with them. When you want to go, you're with them. Evidently, the disciples had all kinds of friends. Because when they said, hey, who do, this, who do, who do men say? This is like saying, who do your friends say that, that I am? And then, of course, somebody, I don't know who, I don't know which of the 12, one of them had like some super creepy spiritual friend. Super creepy. Because the first answer they give was, well, there is this one guy who says, you're John the Baptist. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I would have stopped. I'd say, just tell me who that was. Because John just had his head cut off. They lived in the same day. They ministered in the same region. And some said he got his head cut off. And this guy said, I came up with this. I think the spirit that was in John the Baptist, it floated across space. And when it landed on Jesus the Nazarene, I think he's John the Baptist, but he's possessed And another, another said, no, 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 you don't know your theology. I see him as a prophet. Oh, yeah, we got those ones that, oh, no, we're line upon line. We, he is, he's like a Jeremiah. Others would say, no, 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 he has way more power than Jeremiah. Jeremiah did nothing but cry. <laughs> Only Bible people would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He did nothing but cry. No, Elijah, man, he did all kinds of powerful work. So, no, 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 he's Elijah. How many of you know that when you ask other people or you get another person's opinion about who Jesus is, it will be incomplete? When you take your cues about who Jesus is from somebody else, it is likely to be messed up. And let me even say this to you. Um, my prayer is that you would come here, that you would receive sermons, that you would take advantage of, of how much Bible teaching and preaching is out there right now. But don't take all of your clues on who Jesus is from what I say or what another pastor says or prophet says. Get your own personal revelation of Jesus. You you see, the church is birthed from personal revelation. Honestly, you can't have a relationship with Jesus through me. You can be blessed through the ministry. You can be encouraged. You can be strengthened. Uh, you can be uh, uh, you know, launched into your calling. Perhaps you can learn some things. But I can't have a relationship with Jesus for you. Matter of fact, you must have it for yourself. But notice that when they were looking at men... They wouldn't have been having a relationship with Jesus at all. It wasn't until Jesus said, but who do you say? When he grabbed hold of their focus and their attention said, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Remember, remember the question that Jesus asked. He says, 
Who do they say the son of, the man, son of man is? And Peter, who is always that one to speak first. This time it worked out well. There's a couple other times, eh, not so well. But this time he speaks up first and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he, that's not what he asked. He asked, who do they say the son of man is? Who do you say that I am? He moves from the son of man of seeing Jesus in his humanity to seeing Jesus in his divinity. And I want to say to you, if you don't ever have a personal revelation with Christ, here's what you need to do. You need to hit your knees and turn and look to Jesus. Get your eyes off of what your dad said about Jesus, your mom said about Jesus, what your teachers are saying, what your preachers are saying. Listen, let it provoke you. Let it point you, but get your eyes on Jesus because that is the place of personal revelation and it's the place where the church is birthed. The church is birthed in personal revelation. And one of the greatest problems that we have within the church uh, is this. There are many people who are very comfortable with saying, man, I have a hard time hearing from God, so I just go and listen to the preacher. Let me suggest to you that that is a symptom of a problem. And the, the reason that you have the symptom of deafness in the spirit is because we are looking to man rather than looking to Jesus. Why? Because when Peter looked at Jesus, all of a sudden, his ears were opened. He says, he, Jesus says to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. He was saying all of a time, can you imagine Peter? Peter, like minutes ago, was a stinky fisherman. I mean, and not even a good one. Jesus finds his brother washing empty nets. I don't know why you wash an empty net. I mean, if it had been filled with fish, that's one thing. He's washing an empty net. He, minutes ago, this guy, he's just a fisherman. Days later, he's hearing the voice of God as he is looking at Jesus. Listen, it doesn't matter where you found yourself. You may feel like, man, my whole life stinks. I've just been in the nets and caught in the web of, of what I've been going through, my family life, my work life. I've just been in the nets. Instead of looking at the nets, why don't you look at Jesus? And it could be that in that moment, your ears will open and your eyes will Will open to a personal revelation of who Jesus is. I believe the issue of the church not hearing God, that we think it's normal for the church not to hear God. Here's why. It's because the church hasn't been looking at Jesus. But when Peter looked at Jesus, this guy who spoke out and got it wrong, a lot of times he gets it right. Why? Because he heard God when his eyes were set on Jesus. He changed the focus of the disciples. Jesus became that focus in this moment. And when focusing on Jesus, Peter's ears began to hear and personal revelation followed looking at Jesus. 
But let me say to you that it, it's not only that when we first get born again, when we first get forgiven and, and free, that we have a revelation of Jesus. I think this is where we've gone wrong. You see, revelation of Jesus is supposed to be lifelong. Let me tell you the story of John. John is the beloved. If there were, there were 12 disciples, okay, God's inner core, it's like 12 disciples. One of them, bad guy, accountant, not good with money, bad ending, Judas. Those 11 good guys. But then there were three, Peter, James, and John. And they were kind of like the inner circle with Jesus. But within the inner circle, there was one, and his name was John. And John was the one that was so close to Christ that at the Last Supper, he could lean in on his chest and ask questions about who's the one who's going to betray you. He's going to get answers that no one else is getting. This guy had an intimacy with Jesus unlike any other, uh, other disciple. But after Jesus dies, is buried and raised from the dead, John is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's living out loud. And matter of fact, begins to suffer persecution. He is actually arrested and they try to kill him by boiling him in tar. It doesn't work. They can't kill him. So after boiling him in tar, they set him on an island called Patmos. And it is there he pins the words of the book of Revelation. But the words in the beginning are very important. And that is this. He says, I was in the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and suddenly there came a voice. That voice from behind him. It's Jesus. Jesus shows up. And when he turns and looks at Jesus, he says, oh, Oh, there was this one and his face was shining like the sun and its strength and his voice was the sound of many waters, his feet like burnished brass, his, his clothing whiter than any launder could, could ever whiten. And, and this is what John said. And then I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he put his hand on me and said, don't be afraid. Here's what I'm saying to you. There was a revelation right before the cross that John had of Jesus. But years later, on an island all by himself, there was still revelation of Jesus. Church, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We got to keep looking to Jesus. Because, listen, the fullness of your revelation didn't come when you got born again. It's every day. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And we live like John saying, there's fresh revelation of who you are. You see, the church is birthed in revelation when we look at Jesus. And this initial revelation is the most important revelation of all. That you are the Christ, the son of the living God to seek and save. You see, we need personal revelation of Jesus that comes from beholding him daily. Church, once you're saved, th th this is what we need. We got to behold him daily. Somebody, someone asked me, you know, uh, hey, pastor, I saw you guys launch daily prayer, you know, at the beginning of the whole coronavirus, uh, you know, um, you know, pandemic. Uh, are you guys going to stop daily prayer? You know? when uh, the coronavirus pandemic ends on November 4th? <laughs> right, right. I'm going to erase that from my notes for next service. Let's take it out. Uh, um, <laughs> um, the point is, is no, we're not. 
because we discovered something in the middle of this time. And that is simply this. The more that we behold him, the more we come into who we are called to be. The more that we gather intercessors and we gather people of prayer, the more we lift him up. The more that we sing highest praises, the region changes, lives are changed, everything shifts and moves. We discovered that one corporate prayer meeting wasn't enough. We just said, that's enough. We're going every day the office is open. We were doing it as a staff here on our own. We just turned on the camera and said, we're taking it to another level. And so now there are intercessors who gather here. We invite you to come. If you're able to come at 9 a.m., you come into this room. You can totally socially distance from each other. However, you're going to be really close to someone, Jesus. And it's that daily revelation that carries us into a fresh place. Now, not only is the church birthed in Revelation, this is what Jesus says, but the church is built on the revelation of Jesus. This is the second point. The church is built. And he says this. He says in verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is kind of complex, and I'm going to break this down in the Greek for you and kind of tell you why this is more meaningful uh, uh, than at first glance. See, historically, this story is happening in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's in the very north regions of Israel, okay? Um, Caesarea Philippi was famous for one thing, being the region's center of pagan worship. There was a large rock cliff. At the bottom of the rock cliff were two things. Multiple temples, most of them dedicated to the false god Pan and a giant cave that, that, that water would come in and out of this cave uh, from, from literally an ancient stream of water was flowing out of it. Still, you could see the cave uh, today. The water is not there. But what they would do in this, in this place of pagan worship, this giant rock, these temples uh, that were built there, they would take goats and they would throw them in the cave. They would throw them in the water. And they would, they would think that they would be blessed by the God of Pan, fertility, and whatever else they wanted to assign to this false god, honestly. They would throw a goat in. And if the goat remained in the cave, they, they assumed that it was received. But that, that cave was always filled with floating goats. It was always, this, they would throw in an offering and it was just floating goats and they had to fish them out and it was just this terrible smell. So this whole story, Jesus is telling literally with this scene as the backdrop. Who do men say that I am? In front of this giant cave known as the gate of Hades. Who do men say that I am? I believe there are principles from this, this, this declaration of who the church is that helps us as the church in the end times to grow in an antichrist culture. Listen, church, we are in an antichrist culture right now. 
It is not, it, it, it's not, it's not favorable to hold Christ high. You're, you're not going to be celebrated for that. But here Jesus actually speaks to the church how she can grow and what his plan is to grow the church in an antichrist culture. Okay, so how is it built? The church is built through personal revelation of Jesus. Now, what happens when you have a personal revelation? This scripture. He says, I call you Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, in the Greek, this is a play on words. Jesus uses a play on words in Greek to make a powerful truth. He says the first way that the church is built is through identity. It's through identity. He says, Peter, he said, actually, Simon, that's his name. Simon, I call you Petros in the Greek. He calls him Petros. You say, well, what, what does that mean? It means little stone. And then he says, and upon this Petra, large foundation stone, I will build my church. Peter, you're a little rock. But upon this large rock of revelation of who I am, I will build my church. Essentially, what he said to Peter is like, you're a chip off the old block. <laughs> That's what he said. And he, he actually takes him from being Simon, the son of Jonah. That's what Bar Jonah means, son of Jonah. He takes him from being Simon to being this one who is fully identified with Christ. And I, like when you see this from this light, all of a sudden other scriptures begin to, to bear on your soul and to give you revelations. Like, wait a minute. So all of a sudden Peter is looking at Jesus. He then says, you're the Christ, and he says, now I'm going to give you that identity that is connected to my identity. So Galatians 2.20 starts making sense when Paul says, Paul says words like this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, listen, the large rock of revelation of Jesus is not only the foundation of what we believe, but it's the foundation of who we are. That's what he is saying. He's saying, listen, Peter, you are you are Petros. Your very identity is connected to this, this massive revelation that you, came, that you got from looking at me. It's this identity. It says, my identity is not my own. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Could you say that about yourself today? Notice what happens to Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They have just healed the man at the gate called Beautiful. They have now caused a stir because this man has been lame uh, for 40 years. It's a notable miracle. And now when they're finally coming before uh, the authorities and coming before the religious leaders of their day and the influencers of the day, notice what they said about Peter and John. It says, so 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What did it say? Saying, listen, it says, nothing in the natural qualifies them for standing in front of me. Nothing uh, of them qualifies, nothing of their history, nothing of their training qualified them to heal this man. But what they noted of both Peter and John is that they looked a lot like the large rock. They looked a lot like Jesus. It would go on to say, it would go on to say, it's like, and, and this man stood whole so they could say nothing. Church, if you want to be the church that lives and thrives in the last day, it will be because you give up on trying to leave a personal legacy and you leave an eternal mark. We, the end time church grows when we move away from personal legacy to an eternal identity as, a, uh, as one who is... I've done two celebration of lives in the last week and another two are coming within the next few weeks. I promise you that what people talk about when a believer goes home, when a believer goes to heaven, do you know what people talk about? It's not just the things that they, they did that were temporary in this life and perhaps their hobbies are brought up and perhaps some of those good memories, but the things that are talked about most are the things that actually continue on, the eternal things. And church, we leave an eternal mark when we live in the identity that Christ gives us, not the one we're trying to create for ourselves, not trying to make a name for ourselves, or saying, oh, that one was a great man. Listen, I pray often God don't give me a name but God give me an eternal effect and I pray that the church in this hour would be so given to the identity that somehow God would come and change your name you grew up your whole life and you thought yourself was Simon but then all of a sudden you're no longer Simon you're a chip off the old block you're Peter you say well if, if that's true then it, then it happened somewhere else in the New Testament it did there was a man named Saul breathing threats. Had, oh man, he had an encounter with Jesus. And when he looked at Jesus, he was blinded. Like the way he saw got totally changed. Goes into three days of prayer and fasting. God speaks to somebody to lay hands on him that he would be healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. God begins to change his name from Saul to Paul. What happened? He embraced the identity that Jesus was giving, given and left the identity the world had, had given him behind. Let me say it to I, I believe this is a word for somebody in the room. Some of you need to, to leave the identity you gave yourself from the life you lived apart from Christ before. Just leave it behind. God wants to give you a new name. He wants to give you a new purpose. He wants to give you a new sense of well-being. And it's not, it's not just so, so that you can be a better version of you. No, you need to die. Oh, man. Go ahead and preach it, Pastor. Nobody's going to preach it. I'm going to preach. Preach. I'll preach myself happy. If y'all don't, don't like that kind of preaching, that is New Testament preaching. We don't, need, we don't need to live for ourselves or live in our flesh. We need to die to ourselves and be alive to God. And that happens when Jesus says, I'll build my church by giving her identity.
Oh, but it doesn't end there. Because sometimes you can get an identity, and the only identity you ever embrace as the church is, is, is the one where, where, we, uh, where we do this. We, we gather. And we come together, and we worship. All these things are amazing. But there's more to this story. Because he says something. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So it cannot be that only our identity is, is necessary for the building of the church. We also need the authority that God gives. Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting. And I, I don't have time to do the full word study with you. But let me just say this. The word that is translated church here is ecclesia. It is a, it is a completely secular term. It, it was, it was uh, when the Septuagint was written, when, when the Old Testament was translated into Latin, they used this word and transposed it into the Old Testament to refer to the congregation of Israel. That's not how it was used in the day of Christ. When he used this word, ecclesia, it meant this. It meant the called out citizens who come out to set the culture, rules, and norms of the region. The closest thing that you and I could get to this word would be Congress. Representatives sent by the people to represent us, which is what they are supposed to be doing in Washington, D.C. Sent to represent us with the full authority and backing of the people. Now, when he says, I will build my ecclesia, he's talking about called out ones who will establish the governance of the kingdom and the influence of the kingdom of God wherever they go. He's not just talking about people who are going to come together and worship and sing. All of those things are biblical. All of those things are wonderful. But how many of you know we've been singing and preaching for a long time in America, and right now America is going to hell. America is crumbling and falling apart. And could it be that we have received a portion of our identity, but we haven't yet stepped into the fullness of our authority? Notice what it says. It says the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know if you know anything about war, but usually you don't go to fight with a gate. A gate is not an aggressive weapon. So it's not saying, hey, the enemy had a great idea. He got a gate. It's not what it means. See, the gate in that day was the place of authority. It was the place of agreement. It was the place of contract. It was the place where things were established, where laws were finished, where covenants were made, where everything that needed to be officially enacted, it would happen at a gate. And here's what you need to understand. He says this, hell is going to try to pass some legislation over the church. He says, but it will not work. Amen. He said, I will build my church and the power of hell 
as they are looking at this cave and this pagan backdrop of worship. He's saying, that won't stop the church who walks in her identity and her authority. That won't stop the church. And Anna, I'm just going to tell you right in advance, it doesn't matter the laws that come in the years ahead. It doesn't matter how the church is oppressed. She will be built when she lives in her identity. Our identity is not found in what the preacher preaches. It's found in personal revelation. It comes from looking at Jesus and burning for Jesus and saying, God, I'm going to not live for myself. I'm going to live in the identity that you've given to me and the authority that you've given me in your name. All of a sudden, other scriptures come alive to us. So what do you mean? So strange for God to call me an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? One who has the full backing and representation of a nation in a foreign land. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now all of a sudden I understand that this word church means ecclesia, that I'm a called out one and I'm placed in another place carrying the authority of heaven. You say, what does it look like, the authority of heaven? It looks like a key. This is what Jesus said. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a very complex Greek passage and just let me just say it this way. In English, the best way to say it is this. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. This is a really biblical way to think. Because, here's why. We are not establishing legislation on earth that isn't already established in heaven. Hello, that doesn't work. If you, I promise, some of you have been praying for a Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever sports car you want, long time. It's not coming. <laughs> and if it does, you're supposed to give it to your pastor. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got too many kids for a sports car. <laughs> it's not gonna work. So. You can't use authority that heaven's not in agreement with. So here's what spiritual authority looks like. Anybody can do this. The young people in the room, you can do this. Here's what it looks like. It looks like closing a door. And it looks like opening a door. That's what keys are for. You close a door or you open a door. You close the door on the enemy and you open the door to God's will. Oh, let me, let me really help you. You know that prayer that you have prayed probably more than any other prayer? It's in full agreement with Matthew chapter 16. Are you ready? You're about to have a whammy of a revelation here. Here it is. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I get excited about this. So what has already been permitted in heaven is what I am inviting to come on earth as a representative of one who has received the identity of fullness as a son or a daughter in Christ. So 
I, I had this thought. Everybody in heaven is saved. Everybody in heaven saved. So I'm like, Lord, let everybody on earth be saved. Yeah, I have a verse. I have a verse. It is God's will that none should perish. So I'm not just standing on a dream. I'm standing on the word. And I'm saying, God, what has already been permitted in heaven, let it be on earth. And whatever is stopped in heaven, there's all kinds of things that have been stopped in heaven. Sickness, disease, has stopped. Oh, this one's going to hurt. Sin. I know some of y'all been negotiating with God. He's not a good negotiator. You don't get it to heaven with it. And so what do we do? In our authority, here's what we do. We say everything that has been permitted in heaven, God we ask for it to be loosed here on earth. This is what God does. He says, I want to give you my identity. Would you just let go of who you are and let me form you into who I want you to be? And then not only are you going to lose any authority that you had connected to the flesh, but you're now going to have a new authority that comes from heaven. And now your job in this life is to actually release what heaven is for and to stop what heaven is against. It is because of the lack of understanding of this one truth that America has nearly been lost. That we have had mega churches, but almost zero influence. And I believe what God is doing in this day is turning the eyes of the church back to Jesus. Turning our eyes back to him and saying, listen, I'm so sorry for building a life on what I wanted. Now I say, God, I want my identity to be fully in you. And when I go out, well, listen, this, this is connected to evangelism. Listen, this is connected to a lifestyle of the kingdom. This is how light works. We say, we say God, I'm going in your authority as the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And as long as, I, I know that you're thinking, it's so tough. My coworkers are maniacs. <laughs> I know, I'm just, listen, I'm not just trying to make a theological st statement. I'm, I'm gonna make a scientific one. Light has never lost to darkness. Not even death can stop the church. You know what happened in the early church in this hour when they stood in their identity and they stood in their authority? Even when the government was killing them and they were, they were putting them on stakes and burning them alive, the church was growing. The church was massively expanding. And so what I want to say to you in this hour, last day's church, is hear what Jesus says. The gates of hell, the judgments of hell, the ideas birthed in hell will not prevail. It is time you take your Stand in Christ. Don't stand in yourself. Stand in Christ. Permit what has already been permitted in heaven and welcome the kingdom of God into everywhere you go. And whatever you do, stop tolerating Satan's presence in your life. Stop tolerating it. Stop tolerating it. And stand having had a personal revelation of Jesus because you turned to him, and then live and be built in daily revelation of Jesus, saying, my identity is not my own. I live as if Christ is living through me.
This is how the last day's church will thrive. I want you to use the keys and open doors. How do you do that? Prayer and conduct. Whatever you do. If there are any charismaniacs here. Come on, you're my people. Um, whatever you do, don't go out and shout at demons in the third heaven. Not a good idea. Matter of fact, that's done. You're inviting a fight, you'll lose. You want to shift the atmosphere of a region? Have the behavior of the region changed because we've taken the identity of Christ and then the reason the demon rested over the region the reason it could be there permissionally is now gone and all you have to do is say God would you remove that spirit over the region and it's gone why because everybody is responding and living a different way and that spirit has no right to rule and reign anymore listen that's good teaching Hallelujah. I want to ask you today. Church, please listen. Young people, listen. Have you had a genuine, personal revelation of Jesus? Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you continuing to look to Jesus? The author and the what? Finisher. You look from the beginning all the way to the end. Are you still looking at Jesus? Saying, God, I want my identity to be founded in you. And I want to use your will in heaven to see it done on earth. Are you living that way? I believe God wants you to today. I want you to bow your heads.